you know, I, I was somewhat embarrassed. I was embarrassed by the fact that I was becoming a Jesus freak, you know, and it, it, was, the, it, it was the day of the Jesus freak. You know, this is 1976, Calvary Chapel, Riverside was a big, famous church at the time. All the Jesus freaks were around, you know, the, the, Ken was the musician. Thinking, what will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What, what will they yeah. do yeah. if they find out that it's true? Hello and welcome to another Sharing is Caring episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken. I'm Matt Swaim along with my colleague Ken Hensley and uh, I've been really enjoying hearing a bit of his story in more depth than I've ever heard it before actually and the things that led him to the Catholic faith. Just to set the stage before all of this and what you're about to hear, um, if you've never joined us before. Uh, this is an outreach of the Coming Home Network. Visit us at chnetwork.org. We're a network of all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, including former Baptist pastors like Ken, uh, who are sharing what led them or is leading them uh, to take more seriously the claims of the Catholic Church. And if you want to be involved in conversations with people who are in that situation, then please do uh, consider checking out our online community, community chnetwork.org. And this is a mini retreat that we're doing here uh, as we unpack Ken's story. And if you want to find out more about our retreats, especially if you're a current pastor like Ken once was um, and is interested in coming on one of those retreats, it's chnetwork.org slash retreats. Ken Hensley, uh, remind us where we left off and where we're going. Slashing and hacking our way through the story. You know, uh, let me begin by saying this, Matt. I have never publicly told my story in this at this level of detail in the 25 years that I've, that I've been Catholic now. I don't know if you experienced this when you were doing it, but it, it feels a bit self-indulgent, you know, to, to, to go yeah, into this Yeah, I feel like kind I was of, doing too much talking, right? Yeah, you know, and I feel the same way. And a part of me is like, well, you know, maybe it is self-indulgent a little bit, but then again, maybe the story will, will, uh, will help people. And so, um, I'm going to go ahead and be self-indulgent. A, a story that I typically you know, have told in 45 minutes, I'm probably telling in five or six weeks, you know, this time. So, so anyway, uh, where do, where do we leave off? Last week, I told the story of how I came to faith in, in Jesus Christ. And I left it off there. And I'm going to pick up there now and just sort of move forward. And, um, you, you know, if we were at the retreat, then at this point, we would be asking the question, oh, so what is it that opened your heart? to the idea that Catholicism might have something to say. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping I get there in this uh, session, but I'm not sure I will, okay? Well, we're going to see what we can do, Ken. Uh, as you know, it took me uh, nearly five hours of conversation to yeah. sort of unpack some of these. I still left out a bunch of stuff, so I'm interested to see what you can include and what you can leave in. Like I say, this is, this is the part mm -hmm. that I've actually heard a little bit about, but even last week I had heard a lot of those things, but there were a lot of those things I hadn't heard. So... Uh, Okay, and feel free to feel free to jump in and throw me on the rack and do whatever you need to do along the way, okay? Okay, so at the time, I was 22 years old when the last part of the story I told last week about coming to faith in Christ occurred. I was, I was 22. And uh, we had gotten our band back together at that time, and we were performing 
uh, five nights a week at a place called the Red Baron. It was at the Riverside Airport. It was a bar in the Riverside Airport. Um, well, at that time, a young lady whose name is Tina, who would later become my wife, you mentioned yours as well. Uh, Tina was working as a waitress at the restaurant upstairs from the bar. And so I'm in there with my band and we began playing. It was five nights a week, four hours a night. You know the deal. It was like nine o'clock till one a.m. Uh, five nights a week. She came down to watch the band. Uh, she and I began to talk. We began to date. And um, I began very, very slowly to reveal to her the things I was thinking about Christianity. See, you got to remember that I was still operating within a system that is my friends and what, you know, who, um, you know, I, I was somewhat embarrassed. I was embarrassed by the fact that I was becoming a Jesus freak, you know, and, and it, was the, it was the day of the Jesus freak. You know, this is 1976, Calvary Chapel, Riverside was a big, famous church at the time. All the Jesus freaks were around, you know, the, the, Ken was the musician. Thinking, what will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What, what will they yeah. do yeah. if they find out that it's true? I was embarrassed and I was embarrassed and I was afraid to even tell Tina as we were beginning to do things together and go places. And so, so I, I kind of drove her crazy because without wanting to come out with it, I started just making allusions to things like, you know, death and eternity and, and what, what's it all about, Alfie and that kind of thing. And, um, was really kind of driving her crazy. But the reality is that she had just suffered the death of her father, uh, tragically and, and, um, unexpectedly. And, she was actually in a place where she was very open to thinking about the huge, big questions. And so as I began to reveal more to her, she was actually really open. Um, and so we began to attend a, a home Bible study on Tuesday nights that my friend Bob that I mentioned last week, um, the, the fellow, I guess you could say, that led me to the Lord, that, that he had invited us to. Tina and I began to attend this Tuesday night Bible study. It was led by a gentleman in his home where he was like working directly from a Greek New Testament, just opening it up and talking about it and examining it and all that. And um, and I would say that Tina and I, in a way, just kind of became Christians together, although my story began a bit before hers. So we're going to this home Bible study on Tuesday nights, and then we were attending this small Bible church on Sunday mornings that the whole gang from Tuesday night went to. All right. And um, at that church, we had a pastor that was a true expositor of scripture. He was the first pastor I ever had. And he was one of the best when it came to that. I mean, he preached the book of Acts, I remember, and took like, I don't know, 50 or 60 sermons to get through Acts. And I had never read the book of Acts except when I began to read it on my own. And so I, I, I still remember how wonderful it was, his sermons on, you know, the various stories in the book of Acts and all that. And anyway, here's where I was, Matt. At this point, 22 years old, a young believer in Christ, and I was on fire. Um, all I know, I mean, I didn't know what God was going to do with me. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. All I knew was that everything in my life had changed. Um, I wanted to get out of the nightclub environment. It just started seeming kind of darker and darker to me. And so eventually I quit the band. And um, all I wanted to do was study the Bible. All I wanted to do was study theology. It's like my music had been my life and suddenly music wasn't my life. What my life was, was, was being a Christian and becoming one, wanting to read and wanting to learn and wanting to, I started buying books. I started building a little library, started reading and listening to everything I could find. Do you remember I, uh, what some of the books were that you gravitated for, towards any of the ones that like maybe come to the top of your mind as you were assembling your, your library of stuff? 
Yeah, your I, baby uh, Christian library. Yeah, uh, I have to think hard about it. I because what pops into my mind immediately are the apologetics works. I I think because I came from a kind of a a non-believing situation, at least as a teenager and young adult. And since my friends weren't Christians, you know, and, and I had that feeling about it, I think I was kind of an apologist right away. So it, it, C.S. Lewis was was heavy on the list. Um, other apologists like Josh McDowell, John Warwick Montgomery, Francis Schaeffer's stuff was coming in there. So a lot of apologetics works. And when it comes to biblical studies, I'm, I'm not really sure, except I was studying the Bible and I was listening to tons of sermons. You know, do you remember such a thing as a cassette tape? I mean, was uh, this? it's yeah, vaguely, vaggly. I remember taping stuff yeah. off the radio, right? And, you know, so, I mean, I yeah, definitely yeah. I remember because they give me some credit. I was an 80s kid. Yeah, well, I found, I'm just joking with you, but but I found these places where you could rent the sermons of expositors around the country, and, you know, you'd send in, and you'd pay them a small fee, and they'd send you a box with, like, 20 cassettes in it, and you'd listen to them, and I was just, this was my life, really, especially when I quit the band. I remember I was just working on memorizing pa passages of the Bible, memorizing chapters. I remember at one point I was over 40 chapters of the Bible I'd, I'd memorized. And I used to ride my bike down the street, you know, and just like like recite Colossians to myself and then recite Philippians and, and, and Ephesians. It, this is the world I was li living in. I knew that I wanted to go to college. And this was a problem. Because as a rock and roll musician, I had started to junior college three different times, you know, and just, just kind of goofing around. And it just withdrawn on a whim. So I had like Fs, withdrawals, incompletes. I mean, one time I went to college just because my, my girlfriend, this is before, you know, my girlfriend wanted me to go to college. And I said, okay, if, you, if you'll pick me up, I'll go because <laughs> I didn't have a car. And so uh, I went to college with her. And then when she broke up with me, I just quit going. So... I had these college transcripts that looked like, uh, you know, looked like the roadmap of, of Tijuana or something like that. They were just, it was really a mess. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Maybe Shanghai, maybe Shanghai. And so um, I got a job pushing a trash cart around this three-story department store in Riverside where, where I live, where we grew up. And um, I remember I would just push this trash cart around all day long and I had passages of the Bible on note cards just stu stuck in my pocket. And I would just pull it out and go over my verses and walk around all day long just memorizing the Bible. And, and then after that, I got a job um, driving a delivery van for a florist. So I, I would just load all these flowers into this van and I would drive around town all day long. And I'd listen literally to about eight hours of sermons every day. Guys, ex, you know, expositors working through Daniel or, 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 Elijah or Isaiah or Revelation or Matthew, Mark or anything like that. It was just, it was just a time for several years when I was just learning, learning, learning. And I went back to junior college. Like I said, I had to because my, no college in the universe would have <laughs> accepted me with my transcripts. So I went to junior college and, uh, you know, the, the Lord, I mean, all I can say is the Lord had screwed my head on. And I was beginning to see the world in a correct way. And I went, I did what I needed to do. I went to junior college and I aced it, you know, went through my two years of stuff and got out of that. Anyway, about three years into my life as a Christian, Tina and I get married and we're on our way driving east back to Michigan so that I can attend Bible college and finish my undergraduate degree in Bible and, and theology. Which, and the which only it's called Grace Bible College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The only reason I went there is that this is the school my pastor had gone to. 
And when I said, I want to study the Bible, he said, hey, go there. And um, I was kind of excited about living somewhere else because Tina and I had grown up in California and I had spent my whole life in Southern California. And so, I mean, I know you live back east, so this may not mean much to you, but 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 living in a place, you know, we, we went back to Michigan. In fact, our honeymoon was driving across the country to Michigan to start into college. We lived in a little married student apartment. For the first time in my life, we're living in a place that has honest to God electrical storms, you know, big, crazy storms with lightning, which you almost never see in Southern California. So I totally loved it. I used to go out on our patio and sit and play my guitar and just watch, you know, watching, you know, an entire storm just so I could see all the electricity. Seeing a place where leaves actually turn very beautiful colors in the fall. I mean, this was all new to me and I was stunned by it. I remember this little tree that was right out in front of our apartment. And in the fall, that first year, it just turned this red. And it was like this bright, I mean, like really bright red. And I, I just stood there staring at it. Let me ask you a question about that just tree. Amazed. Had like a itinerant sure. Jewish preacher come through a couple of days before and told that tree to bear fruit no more? I just want to make sure if that was fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, because I don't know if it was a fruit-bearing tree. But, I can't, uh, I'm trying know, to imagine what it would be like to be an adult and see like leaves change for the first time or, uh, you know, in It person, was really right? nice. I'm sure you saw it on TV, but like, well, then you got yeah, the, I, I, the Michigan snow too, though. And that's, that's nobody's well, idea I, of fun. Except when it's new to you, it just seemed like magical. It was very beautiful. In fact, th those are really good days in a number of ways. I mean, we're newlywed. We're living in a new place. I'm seeing the leaves turn these colors. I'm spending my days in class studying the Old Testament, studying the New Testament, classical Greek, church history, all the stuff that I was really in love with, I'm learning about, making new friends. It was a good time. And I like the storms, but it, one thing I had to learn was that you don't go to bed with your car windows rolled down, even if, even if it looks like the sky is clear and everything's great, you know? I remember just sitting up in bed one night it sounded like someone had taken a double barrel shotgun and just put it right next to my head and just blasted it off, you know, the, the, the thunder. And I just jumped up and I look out and it was just like pouring, you know, like this doesn't happen in Southern California either. And I ran to the door and I remember I had to push the door open because the wind was blowing. It was like a hurricane gale. And I pushed the door open and I ran to my car and quickly jumped in and started rolling up all the windows that were down. And by the time I got back to the apartment, it, it was as though I, I mean, I, I may as well have dove into the ocean and swam for like an hour. You know, I was completely drenched. But anyway, this was a good time in life. And I know some people are thinking, what the heck does this have to do with a story about becoming Catholic? And so, again, I apologize. I, I do feel uh, that is a bit self-indulgent, but it's fun to be able to tell these, to tell this story in kind of This is a 4D experience right this is, if we had the 4d stuff like this would be uh -huh. where like uh vapor spray would be coming out of the monitor on people as you're telling the story yes 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 so it was the smell of it was a big popcorn in the dorms you know that sort of thing okay it was a big deal so i'm making friends at school my best friend his name was otis he and i throwing frisbees back and forth doing our studies together i loved going to grace bible college and learning theology and learning the Bible and focusing my whole life on it, although I had no idea what I was going to do with it at that point. Um, okay, here's something new. During that time, I got a job at a Christian bookstore in town in Grand Rapids. This was a bookstore that specialized in the works of the great 
Reformation theologians, as well as the English and American Puritans. Okay? So I began to move deeper because the, the school I was going to, the church I had gone to, you would call it evangelical. It was modern and it was evangelical. So for the first time in my life now, I'm beginning to read Luther directly. I'm beginning to read Calvin. And I'm reading guys like John Owen, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, George Whitfield, and then Jonathan Edwards, the great New England Puritan. And whereas my idols, all of my teenage years, my, my idols had been John Paul, George, and Ringo, essentially, and some others. A little bit the kinks, Matt, okay? The kinks get in there a little bit. Now my, my idols were these great Puritan authors. All of them, strangely, named John. You know, John Owen, John Bunyan, Jonathan, everybody's named John. But anyway, this is what I was reading, and I started feeling like I was a deep thinker in comparison with many of my friends at, at the Bible college who were evangelicals and, and were modern. Most of my friends thought that they were going deep in history if they ever read anything by someone who was dead, you know, someone who wasn't alive at the time. Um, you know, most of the people we read were maybe one generation back, maybe two. That was about it. Um, and here I was reading the Reformers. Here I was reading the Puritans. And I st and here I was living in a place where the snow was falling and there was this darkness in the winter. And I was entering this world of my imagination that I was a Puritan, okay? And I was feeling like a deep guy. You know, it's For so funny. <laughs> I, as you're mentioning this, you're I happen to have on my shelf. Um, I remember, too, um, we talked about this a little bit in my story about, you know, thinking that you're deep in history. Um, when I was in 1988 for my birthday, my parents mm -hmm. got me this. It's the oldest book that I had ever physically held, right? This thing mm -hmm. was originally gifted from somebody to somebody else in like 1926. And then you got the, whatever, the, the passage where it says, you know, my parents dedicated it and inscribed uh -huh. it to me. Uh -huh. It was the oldest book I had ever held, right? This book itself uh -huh. is like over 100 years old. Um, but wow. it was also the oldest book that I've read in terms of like the written longest to go. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I have dug into the well of what it means to be part of the ancient Christian faith. Like I felt like I had gone back well, what to is the beginning. The, what it's is the book? Because I couldn't see. It's Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it on your video. It's too small. Oh, yeah. Pilgrim's yeah, yeah. Progress. Pilgrim's yeah, Progress. you read that. You read that and you feel like you've gone back to the beginning. I've gone I'm, all the way back to the beginning. I know. Yeah. Okay. And and for a time, you're going to crack up at this. In fact, you can start cracking up in advance. No. Um, for a time, I even dragged Tina to this very small church outside Grand Rapids that was a strict Baptist church. Okay. The strict Baptist. Okay. You've got the Baptist and you've got a, a lot of varieties. And then you have the Calvinist Baptist, the Reformed Baptists that are strong Calvinistic Baptists. And they're really into history. And then you have the strict Baptists who are like the most radical out there on the edge, okay? And we went to this little church, and I remember it was in the winter still, so snow was everywhere. You go inside this little church, and all I can say is that, have you ever read Moby Dick? Yes, it's been a while. Okay, 
Do you remember that near the beginning of Moby Dick, there's this there there's this scene where he goes into a church and this whaler pastor like climbs these ropes up into the pulpit, you know, and he stands there <laughs> and it's I, I just just imagine Moby Dick, imagine New England back then, imagine everything is wood and the pastor's got this giant gnarly beard and he literally climbs ropes, you know, um, up into the pulpit and he preaches. And all of his illustrations are about whaling and spears and harpoons and everything because it, his congregation are made up of whalers, you know. That's what I felt like in the strict Baptist church. I felt like I have literally gone back to the church that John Bunyan would have been pastoring. And the guy, in fact, that was the pastor, I remember, um, I was told that he had just been like the town butcher for like 25 years. And when the pastor of the church died, the, everybody elevated him to the pastorate because he was the most holy man and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I remember how he scared the heck out of me too because Tina and I are in the congregation the first time and there's only like 15 people there. And so we stand out. And uh, he comes up to me after the, after the service and he looks at me with these like searing eyes. You know, and I'm this young guy. I'm like 23 or 24 years old sitting there. And he goes, my son, do you know the grace of God? It's one of those. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, man. But it's like, it's like he was saying to me, I can tell that you may not be regenerated. You know, you may not know the grace. You may not you belong smell the to sin Christ. on you. Yeah, and, and I'm li he's looking into my eyes to discover this. And I, I felt like, no, I've never been converted. You know, I'm not a No, I didn't say that. But um, anyway, this was the kind of world I was living in, okay? I was in love really in love with the whole idea of being the serious Calvinist Baptist like John Bunyan in the mold, in the mold of the 16th century Baptist in, uh, in England, okay? What did I think about the church of the first 15 centuries? Not much. I was about to say, like I say, you're probably like me. You, you're reading Pilgrim's Progress and thinking, this is, just, this is the beginning. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew that the first, I knew that the church before that is Catholicism, and Catholicism. Well, I, I knew that was wrong. I mean, I I knew it was wrong. W what in particular did I think of Catholicism? I, I I thought of Catholicism like the Puritans did, and if you've read the Puritans, you know what they thought of Catholicism. The Catholic Church was the whore of Babylon. It was this false. Um, degraded, distorted version of Christianity that had arisen in the early centuries and had conquered the world and had uh, remained there as really the only form of Christianity for 1,500 years. Um, let me give you an illustration of what the Puritans thought of Catholicism, Matt. In one of Jonathan Edwards' writings, his book on religious affections, which in many ways is a fantastic book, Jonathan Edwards is describing false humility. And he's talking about what false humility is, what it's comprised of, what it's like. And he uses the Pope for his illustration. And so here's Jonathan Edwards. This is a passage that I would read and I would rejoice in. Quoting Jonathan Edwards, it seems to be the nature of spiritual pride to make men conceited and ostentatious in their humility. This appears, or this can be illustrated, in that firstborn of pride among the children of men, he who would be called his holiness, even the man of sin, 
who exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped. He styles himself servant of servants, and to make a show of humility, he washes the feet of a number of poor men at his inauguration. Okay? Wow. <laughs> you got it? You know, it's funny. Yeah, I remember that one. Well, I don't remember that one, but the one I remember from Bunyan, uh, and I, I, I looked it up here, mm-hmm. uh, where he's going through and he, he sees this cave where there's two giants, Pope and Pagan. Uh, oh, yeah. Dwelt in old time, by whose power and tyranny the men whose bones, blood, and ashes lay there, they were cruelly put to death. Pagan has been dead many a day, and Pope, though he yet be alive, he is by reason of age and also of the many shrewd brushes that he met with in his younger days, now so crazy and stiff in his joints that he can now do little more than sit in his cave's mouth. Yikes. <laughs> well, well, it's amazing yeah, that you book, thought that. That's, it's amazing that's what Pilgrim's Progress he, says about the Pope. That's amazing you thought that up because you didn't know I was going to mention John Bunyan. That's great. That's No, that's, but like... That quotation is pretty whew. wild. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Here's the question, and it's, it's been so many years now that it's hard for me to answer it truly. I don't know if I can, but did I believe what Jonathan Edwards believed and John Bunyan about the Catholic Church? I mean, I would say yes, because I adored them, and I basically took their worldview and put it on like a, like my, like a multicolored robe, you know, Joseph. Um, so I would say yes. But it wasn't because I had a deep knowledge of Catholicism truly and had truly come to that, that opinion. It, it was more like just a part of the, of the shtick. It, it was a part of the, the, the whole role of being a Puritan and what you accept. And these guys were so smart. That was certainly how so I came to this stuff. It, was, it yeah, wasn't that yeah. I like had formed these opinions. I'm like, I, I too have studied the Roman Catholic Church, and I think exactly what these guys think about it. No, I was like, oh— um, if uh, Bunyan thinks it's bad, it must be bad. I guess there's no need to explore it any further. Yeah. Just like I wouldn't explore the uh, philosophies of Mr. Worldly Wiseman any further, right? I just trust that he's yeah. a bad guy, right? Yeah, and in a way, I mean, a subject we're going to come to in a few weeks probably, but it was the same thing with Sola Scriptura, you know? I didn't say to myself back then, is Sola Scriptura true? I think I'll do an in-depth theological, exegetical, historical study of Sola Scriptura and decide whether it's true, and then I'll set it as my foundation. You know, Instead, it was just the worldview that I lived in, and everybody smart around me, and every Christian I knew believed. It's sort of the same thing. I, I think I inherited my feeling about Catholicism just from the people I read. You know, And I said, okay, you know, they, they feel that way, I feel that way. Okay, 1981, I graduate from Grace Bible College. And I aced it again. I have my again. second birthday. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I aced it again. At, at the graduation ceremony, I won the award that they give to someone for the highest achievement in biblical studies and theology. And all that. I have this big Greek New Testament that they gave me then and still have it in my, in my shelf. And Tina and I moved back to California because I had enrolled to uh, study theology at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Okay. Now, I didn't know why I was going to Fuller exactly. I, I wasn't being sent there by a denomination that was preparing me for the ministry or anything like that. Um, I just loved the study, and I kind of figured I'm going to end up being a pastor or a teacher or a professor or something like that, and I want to deepen my studies. And so we wanted to go to Fuller, I mean, because it was a very well-known school, but also it was close to our families. My mother lived alone at the time. Tina's mother lived alone, and we just didn't want to be 
all the way across the world from them forever. Okay, so we move back to California, and I'm going to Fuller Theological Seminary, and as you know, Fuller is a international seminary, and it's an interdenominational seminary. So when you go to Fuller Seminary, you're going into a hotbed of ideas, various ideas. I'm sitting in my classes now with Baptists and Presbyterians and Nazarenes and Pentecostals and Anglicans and Lutherans and all sorts of people from various Christian um, traditions and students from all over the world, African students, uh, European students. So there are a lot of ideas that are floating around the campus and floating around the classroom. And I'll just say at this point that my mind began to expand a bit beyond where I had been as a at, at first as an evangelical in a totally dispensational kind of situation, which I won't define now and I'll come back to later. And then I had become this Puritan kind of guy, a Reformed Baptist, a Calvinistic Baptist. Um, and I remained that, but at Fuller, I began to be exposed to a lot more, okay? Uh, various schools of theology and all that. Uh, my first year at Fuller Seminary, I took some courses from a particular professor that I liked a lot and that I grew to really love. In fact, I became his teaching assistant, and for a, uh, at least a year, um, I was like his main main man, you know? If he was Zorro, I was, no, if he was the Lone Ranger, I was gonna say if he was Zorro, I was Tonto, that doesn't work. If he was the Lone Ranger. If you were Zorro, he was the sword. No, wait, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, if he was the Lone Ranger, I was All Tonto. analogies limp, Ken, as you're so fond of telling me especially ones that you haven't thought through before you say them. Okay, so um, anyway, he was like, your, he was right out of central casting for a professor. He was sort of absent-minded. He was an oddball, but he had earned PhDs in both Old Testament and New. His New Testament, he had studied with Oscar Kuhlmann in Europe, you know, one of the most famous world-renowned New Testament scholars at the time. Um, and he was a professor of New Testament exegesis and um, hermeneutics, the, the study of interpretation, the art, the science of interpretation. And I took a few classes with him. And as I said, uh, I grew to really, really love him. And, um, oh, I got to tell this one. I'm, You know what? This is going to, this uh, five-week series, maybe 10, I'm sorry to tell you. But um, this guy, this guy w was just straight. And, um, he was talking about C.S. Lewis one day, and he was praising C.S. Lewis for something C.S. Lewis had said, and he was going on and on. So anyway, I'm this student, and I'm wanting to kiss up to my professor. So a couple of days later in class, some subject comes up, and I go, oh, well, C.S. Lewis said, you know, blah, you know, I start, you know, like bringing Lewis into the thing. <laughs> Reminds me of that uh, episode of The Office when Michael uh, Scott, you know, uh, there's a new fellow in the office of black you know, employee in the office and he walks up to him and starts saying, hmm, you know, my Denzel Washington is my favorite, you know, my favorite actor. You're right, right, right. I'm sure you'd say. Anyway, I start praising C.S. Lewis and this professor looks at me and he goes, once in a great while, something C.S. Lewis says will intersect with the theology of the Bible. Just nails oh, me. Devastating. Just nail <laughs> <laughs> he just devastates me. But anyway, Here's what happened in his class. And I'm going to come back to this when we talk about justification by faith alone later. But he's in class one day 
and he's totally a Protestant, but he begins to talk about Luther and Calvin, and he just, just like he nailed C.S. Lewis that day, he, he just jumps up and he says, he says, Luther and Calvin didn't know what they were talking about. He just starts putting them down, and he says, this idea that we are justified by faith alone, this idea that the, that the moment you, you look to the cross of Christ in faith, that, you, that Christ's righteousness is legally credited to your account and you are justified, done deal, past tense, you are saved. He says, this doesn't match the pattern that we see in the Bible at all. He said, throughout the Bible, from the very beginning, he's the one who said this to me, that you and I have talked about at, at length in our series on Sola Fide. Um, he says, if you read the stories of the Bible, he goes, the entire Bible is nothing more than the stories of men and women and their relationships with God. Never do you see this pattern of believe, and then you receive the blessing. You know, believe, and you receive the blessing by faith alone, and then you go on to be obedient, you know, out of gratitude to God or whatever, you know. Instead, he said, the pattern you see throughout the entire Bible is that people are called to trust God and do what he's, faith and obedience, and persevere in faith and obedience, and then they receive the blessing at the end of that path of perseverance. And so he, he just brought this up and he started giving illustrations from the Bible and all. And, and the only point I want to make at this, at this juncture, Matt, because we'll be coming back to this later, is that I came to believe over time that he was right. And I began to see, I, I began to kind of become rattled about the Reformation issue of justification. And when I left seminary and I went on, you know, to become a pastor in many years, and I I was preaching a view of these things that looking back, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I can see was more Catholic than it was yeah. Protestant. But that didn't cross my mind. I never once said to myself, oh my, I'm teaching a Catholic view. I mean, in, a, in bottom line essentials. I'm, I'm teaching an essentially Catholic view of, of the path of salvation. Faith you would have thought I'm teaching an essentially biblical view of salvation. Yeah, yeah. yes. Which is yeah, the same. And I just thought, it's, it's the same thing, right? The biblical view is the Catholic view. As you, I would encourage yeah. people, by the way, if, if they want to get to the uh, the lengthier discussion of how this question played out, especially for you, I, I didn't wrestle with it mm -hmm. as much because um, I didn't come from the Lutheran Calvin camps. Uh, but we did a whole series of episodes. They're called "A Damning System of Works Righteousness," <clears throat> and you can find all kinds of, I mean, all the faith alone talk you could possibly. Uh, want to yeah, jam it into begins. Your head. Just to help so. people, it begins with episode seventeen of "On the Journey with Matt, Matt and Ken," and it's a series that goes on 14, 15, 18, I don't know episodes. Interminable. But, um, it's interminable, Ken. Okay, but see, here was, and again, I I only saw this really looking backward after I became Catholic, but Mar this was the doctrine th that had shook the church to its foundations. This was the doctrine that Martin Luther said. Uh, you know that his doctrine of justification was the do was the the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. You know he's the one who said, um, "Anyone who does not accept my doctrine cannot be saved." Um, John Calvin had said that this doctrine of justification by faith alone was the hinge upon which the door of all true religion swings. And all of a sudden, I'm in this. I, I'm in seminary, I'm in a Protestant seminary, and I've got a Protestant professor, again, with two earned PhDs, Old Testament and New Testament, who's kind of taking that cage and shaking it a little bit. 
And but but you're dead right. I came away just thinking, no, I've refined my view. I'm holding a more biblical view of what it means to be saved. And since, at least theoretically, as a Protestant, aren't I free to follow the Bible? And uh, and nothing sacrosanct, right? I mean, nothing is infallible. Lutheran calendar not infallible. And so so I went on uh, preaching a view that was in some ways Catholic without ever knowing it. Okay. And um, that's what happened. Now, I'm looking at the clock, Matt, and I think that I th- this is a good time to kind of like uh, press the pause button. Get a cliffhanger button. in? W- well, we because, get a cliffhanger, well, though? Okay, um, I'll, I'll create one on the spot, and therefore it will limp just like my, my illustration. My your analogies. Um, but, but I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary with my master's degree in theology, and I enrolled in a doctoral program at um, Claremont Graduate School in Southern California. And I'll make this the cliffhanger. This has popped into my mind, okay? Something strange happened when I was at Fuller. I was sitting in an exegesis course on 1 John, the Greek text of 1 John. It was a small class, maybe 10 people in the class. I remember distinctly, I was looking down at my notes when all of a sudden I heard a voice that I didn't recognize in the room. And I, I heard this voice ask the professor a, a, a really smart question, okay? And I remember just thinking, that was a smart question. And I looked over and I saw this young man in the class that I had never met before. At the end of the class, the professor calls me up to his podium and he calls this fellow up too. And he says, Ken, I'd like you to meet Scott Hahn. Um, he's out here. Uh, he's considering doing doctoral work, possibly at Fuller. He might be working with me. Um, since I was his teaching assistant, I wonder if you would be his host while he's out here. Scott was going to spend a couple of weeks talking to professors, thinking about the school and all that. So anyway, I met this young, skinny guy who was just finishing up his work at uh, Gordon Conway. Calvinist hothead too, right? He was a total Calvinist Presbyterian. And here's the thing. He was in love with biblical theology. That was his sort of field. I was in love with biblical theology. That was my field. He and I were reading some of the same books and had the same kind of interests. And so he and I, you know how it is when you're 23, I mean, when you're 25, 26 years old, he and I ran around together for two weeks talking a million miles an hour about the books we were reading and the things we were thinking and all the things we were learning. He was a Calvinist Presbyterian. I was a Calvinist Baptist. And we became good friends in about two weeks' time. In fact, he, when he went back to... Pennsylvania, where he was from, he and I stayed in contact for about two years, uh, talking on the phone, um, staying in touch a little bit. And then around 1983, I would say, I lost track of Scott. And I didn't talk to him for another decade. And then he will come back into the story. Is that that a cliffhanger? That's a good cliffhanger. You met... You met Scott the uh, Calvinist firebrand Han in his Calvinist glory days. You were tossing frisbees becoming, with him around who, the Fuller who wind, campus. Who winds up becoming one of the uh, the big conversions to the Catholic faith many years later. But not anywhere connected with the time that you met him. Not no, for a no. long while. So uh, No. No. And this is, we're getting into parts that I do know here. And I'm excited to, uh, I really encourage the listeners. This I know based on where we are in your story, 
where we're have we're going to just basically have to go next. So next yeah. time is going to be a really fun episode. I personally can I love getting into your your superhero origin story. It's like how Iron Man became Iron Man in that cave in <laughs> Afghanistan or whatever. Building hammer well, together well, the also, first Iron Man suit. That's it. And of course it's easy for you cuz you just like lean back against your bookcase there and Give me a hard time just if you can think about it. Sit back and I listen to the Back to the Bible Ambassador Youth Choir and, cool. you know, just think about how great it is to uh, to talk to my friend who had his you've, 70s conversion. You've got the weirdest collection of vinyl I've ever seen. I, I, I know, think you I, mean I, uh, classiest. I think this, that's the <laughs> the cl- Yeah, classiest. That's a word. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ken... This is good stuff. I mean, honestly, this is a lot of fun, and it speaks to a completely different kind of experience than I had than I had uh, in in my uh, particular story that I told mm-hmm. over the course of five episodes. I'm really excited uh, again because I know where this is going. But uh, if you want to find out more about <coughs> some of the doctrines um, that are in play here and how Ken has sorted through them over the years, I encourage you to check out other episodes of On the Journey. He mentioned that uh, system on Sola Fide. There's another one on Sola Scriptura, and a couple of others. Um, that are relevant to this discussion go to chnetwork.org and you can find those episodes actually chnetwork.org slash on the journey for all the old episodes Uh, the main site is where you can find all kinds of resources including lots and lots of stories from various people Uh, but if you want to uh, plug into the community where we're actively having conversations with people who are going through this process and thinking it through right now and especially if you're one of those people uh, head on over to to community.chnetwork.org Ken a pleasure. We'll catch up with you again Thank you. next week. Okay, we'll see you, Matt.